All right, last week we talked about a battle cry. The Bible clearly gives us a battle cry to fight the good fight of faith. And this week I want to dig deeper into that, feeling very <laughs> fired up and led about that, that this morning is still about a battle cry, but the question is, have you found your fight? So last week we looked at these incredible passages in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy where a seasoned and, and mature and wise leader in the church, Paul, a great mentor of many. He speaks to one of his men mentees, if you will, one of his sons in the faith, one of the young men that he has invested deeply in, in that very personal relationship of, of mentorship. And his charge to this young man, Timothy, is to, as a man of God, fight the good fight of faith. And in a way, he says, fight the good fight of faith as you have seen me do. Those are kind of the two verses that we looked at. The first one was Paul, as he's recognizing that his time on earth is coming to a close, he knows he has been faithful to fight the good fight that God has given him. And then he gives that charge to Timothy, fight the good fight, man of God. And so we use that to really dig into the reality that though evil is running rampant in our world, that God never calls us to shrink back, to get passive in the face of evil, to give in, to accept defeat as God's will, or even just to throw it up there as, well, I guess God's allowing it. Not in any way should that be our mindset, but rather it's this Paul and Timothy, no, fight the good fight. Keep fighting. You don't accept evil. You fight. Jesus said it like this. The enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have abundant life. So Jesus is fighting on our behalf to destroy the works of the enemy in the world. He never looks at us like, oh, well, too bad. I guess you've got to wait to heaven. No, he says, that's my enemy, and I'm fighting against him on your behalf to destroy the works of the devil, as it says in 1 John 3, 8. And so it's not, neither Jesus nor Peter nor Paul or anyone else in the New Testament ever teaches, well, you know, don't fight against that evil situation because I guess God's in control or God's allowing it or some fluffy junk like that. It's the exact opposite of what they teach. It's a fight. It's a spiritual war. It's gird up your loins. It's see evil and loss and brokenness and pain and destruction in the world as the enemy's work, and he's trespassing on God's territory and our job is to get right in the middle of the fight, put on the armor of God as Jesus modeled and fight like Jesus did to destroy the works of the enemy and take back the territory that the enemy has stolen. Those are our marching orders. Jesus said, as the Father sent me, so I send you. So we've got plenty of purpose. We never have to settle for evil. We never have to settle for the status quo of, well, I guess that's just how the world's going to be until Jesus returns. He never says, stop fighting the good fight because you gave it a good try and it didn't work. So our prayerful declaration facing any and all types of evil and brokenness as taught by Jesus is quite simply what he said in his prayer, which is not the Lord's prayer. It's the disciples prayer. It's the Lord teaching the disciples how to pray, meaning it's for us. 
may your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's a battle cry. Until it's like heaven, your job is not done. It's kind of a word from Jesus. So my question this morning is, have you found your fight? Do you know the arena or arenas where God has made you to fight? Do you know how to hear or sense or discern when that fight is shifting? So several aspects of, of finding your fight have to do with a few questions. It's right there in your lift notes, kind of have some extra space in there just to ponder, to think. This is not necessarily an easy question. This takes time. What are your gifts and passions? Absolutely a key part of it. Where is God's favor or power or grace on the move in your life? Which is connected to kind of the what season of life are you in? So I'll just give one example right now for my life and then kind of tease out a little bit these aspects of like gifts, passions, where is God's favor on the move, what season of life are you in, and you can all put it into your life as those kind of questions. So for my life right now, there's an interesting, almost surprising in a way, growing sense of fighting the good fight for me is meant to be and is happening right now in the political realm. And part of this I share because we need your prayers. Part of, it, part of this is, is part of my job. And so this is part of now. It's, it's a fight in the sense that the church is involved with and I need your prayers. We need your prayers. This is part of spheres of influence that God is giving us as a church. And I'm not the only one involved in the church. So this is in part like, hey, this is something God is on the move doing in our church. So I don't know exactly where this is going to end or what it's going to ultimately look like, but I definitely have a sense that God is on the move. And so I'm highlighting that. God is on the move. I didn't ask for this. God is on the move. His spirit is showing grace and favor and opening doors in spheres of influence in the political realm, in our city. And it's interesting because as I look back now and on my passions in life, on my giftedness, I remember that from the time I was in high school, I loved politics. I was always involved. I was always involved in student government through high school and college. I was a political science major in college until felt that my wife and I together felt that full-time call in a ministry. And so both of us changed our majors. She was Spanish literature. I was political science. And we both changed to study of religion at an atheist school. <laughs> so that was fun. The whole premise of the department is God is this figment of your imagination for your otherwise pointless lives. You need some little emotional crush, you pansies. So that was a good place to test out our calling. I'm not kidding at all. Um, so that was fun. Anyways, so a, a few years ago, when, when uh, almost six, when God, I felt strongly, was calling me to step back from kind of overseeing and leading the youth here in this church. And, and uh, so the, the question for me personally was, okay, what's the next step? And I feel like I heard very clear, serve the city, build positive relationships. Serve the city, build positive relationships with that time, effort, and energy that I had available now in that, in that way. And we had some people in the church 
uh, Denise and Linda, who were already part of a homeless task force, and, and they had met uh, Councilwoman Lisa Sobeck, who's got a great, you know, she, she is a city leader and great passion for doing good things and serving the city. And uh, so uh, I told Denise and Linda, hey, I feel like God's saying, serve the city. So is there something going on that in the relationships that you've already built, those positive relationships? And the next thing I know, uh, she's like, hey, they're like, hey, Lisa Sobek wants to meet with you. And I was like, oh, awesome. City council wants to meet with us? Cool. And so we just meet and share our heart and say, hey, we just want to serve in the city. And that's where she introduced us to the local domestic violence shelter. So the next thing we know, we're building relationship, doing positive things there, and have become very, very, very good friends with the leaders over at the domestic violence shelter here and have served there many, many times. It's been a beautiful thing. And that kind of kick-started this process of just serving in the city, building in relationships to the point where I'll just, you can throw a picture up there, highlight one aspect of where we're at currently. So a few couple weeks back, uh, we had the privilege here at Elevation Church to host uh, the Menifee Interfaith and Community Service Council meeting. And so it's, I've been serving on that for about five years now, and it's a community service organization that was actually started by City Councilwoman Lisa Sobeck to get churches together, faith groups together, and serve the city in common purposes. And God has put an unusual favor on that group to the point meaning that the mayor is there every time. The city of Menifee sends a couple represent the city, in case you didn't hear that, that's the government. The city of Menifee sends a couple representatives from their community services department. Who also is in that picture is two police members. We have a sergeant and we have the executive to the chief. All right, so there, and city councilwoman Lisa Sobek and the mayor. So that's a, that's a pretty powerful group of people within the city that are all part of Menifee Interfaith. And so I've been serving there five years, and last year they asked me to, or elected me or whatever, to chair that group. So two times ago, I get to lead this meeting with those people in the city here, and I get to put forth a proposal, what if we worked on, with the city, a social and emotional well-being task force? Because my thought, my pastoral compassion and fire is that in this whole pandemic, people's social, emotional, and mental well-being are just being treated by most of the government agencies as a given collateral damage. So the fact that I'm hearing some reports by a local morgue that they're doing more funerals for suicides than they are for COVID doesn't seem to matter. But as faith groups coming from compassion... I think we can do better. I think we can do better, not just as faith groups, but as, as a government. Can, can we be more intentional? And I said, honestly, given the state of the world, I, it's very possible that more lockdowns are coming. So can we be ready this time? Can we be proactive and preemptive in that we've thought through some of what has just become collateral damage? So you just, you know, put all the kids inside, get them out of school, take away youth sports, take away sports outside where they're running around, where the statistical chance of them dying from COVID running around outside is almost nothing. Yet we just, bam, I'm so scared. Stop it. And, and you know, one in four young adults in the last month have contemplated suicide. We can't, I didn't say we can. I have to ask it nicely. Can we do better? Can we be creative? Can we think through some of these things? 
and, and maybe come up with some type of plan where maybe Menifee leads the way in trying to at least show that these things matter. Instead of just giving collateral damage, can we show that we have compassion for the people and that we thought through? And so I shared that nicely. And it was like, yeah, this is, this is, this is something that we should discuss further, more in-depth. It's obviously weighty. It's got a lot going on. And so it's, we're going to talk about it next time. And by God's good providence, our next time that we gather, two Tuesdays from now, our keynote speaker is California State Assemblyman Kelly Sayarto, who will be in this building on Tuesday morning at 8 o'clock to share his thing, and then he's going to stay for the duration of the meeting, and guess what he gets to talk about? Assemblyman Sayarto, we have a proposal on the table we'd like to discuss, and we'd like your input. To me, that's pretty special. To me, that's an opportunity that God is clearly opening doors. God is on the move. God's spirit is at work. He's taking some gifts and passions that in a lot of ways were lying dormant in me for a long time. But if I look back, it's like, oh, I liked that kind of stuff. And, and I didn't even ask for it or expect it. It was start with a simple just serve and build positive relationships. You know, and five years later, you know, we're hosting events in our church with powerful government people who make a lot of decisions. And that's God's spirit, that's God on the move. That God, that's God saying, I just want you to be faithful and let me show you where to fight the good fight and let me open doors because I want my kingdom to expand in all spheres of influence. And what's part of that is exciting is that's just one example of honest processing right where I'm at right now in one of the areas where God's called me to fight the good fight. But the arena or arenas where God has put me currently to fight the good fight, listen very carefully, is not necessarily or does not need to be the same arena that God has put you to currently fight the good fight. God wants to give each and every one of his beloved children spheres of influence out in the world, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in our families, in various spheres, whether it be the business community or politics or entertainment or media or wherever it may be, where you can have a sphere of influence that no one else has. That's unique to your gifts and passions and the season of life that you're in and your maturity and, and the gifts God's given you and the spirit of God moving and making it happen. And so I love where this is the body of Christ comes into play. 1 Corinthians 12, the whole passage, the whole chapter is awesome, but look at verses, uh, let's start at, let's see, 4. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. There are, that's, we could just stop right there. <laughs> there are in God's family, in God's body, a variety of, of gifts. That's good news. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are a variety of activities, but the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each different person is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. 
And it goes down in all this, you know, these pictures of like, you know, the eye and the hand and the foot and the toe, and they all need each other. And they shouldn't be saying one to another, well, I don't need you because I'm this part or this part, I'm this part, and you're not as important as me. In fact, Paul flips that on his head and said, it's those ones who are, you know, the, the less, let's use his exact, exact language here. Down to 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the foot, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker, so meaning on the outside, they don't look as important. And so let me put that into real life. There is no difference in God's value system of whether or not you are talking with the mayor and making proposals or you are at home changing diapers and feeding children all day long and you feel like that's consuming you. If that's the season you're in and God has called you to and that's the fight to feed into and nurture and bless and show your children the heart of God, that is absolutely the same value in God's eyes. But in the world, what does it say? It says, on the contrary, the parts that seem to be weaker. So this is kind of like, you know, God sees the heart, man sees with the eyes. They look at the outside. So this is where, from the outside, there always be judgments of value of this thing is better than that thing. So, you know, when I met with the mayor on the, in the morning and then went home and washed dishes and did homework, which one is more valuable in God's eyes? Probably the one that I had a more pure heart for. <laughs> so that's super important. The parts of the body that seem to be weaker, here we go, are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think are less honorable, we should bestow greater honor. And the unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, with which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there would be no division in the body. That's the key, no division but that the members would have the same care for one another, that if one member suffers, all suffer. If one member's honored, all rejoice together. God gave us each different gifts and passions, and even in our own life, we will be put in different arenas to fight the good fight, and this is even a known check on our hearts. What do we value more? It should just be, be faithful to the fights God has given you. God gave us each different gifts, strengths, passions, on purpose, on his purpose, on his purpose, so we can fulfill his purposes. So we can each fight the good fight in an effective way and in the sphere of influence that God's given us. So this is just good freedom right here. This, is, this When we look at gifts and passions and fighting the good fight, we are, we are absolutely free from looking around at other people and saying, oh man, I, I don't fight the good fight like that. Well, you're not supposed to necessarily. You're supposed to be you. You're supposed to be who God's created you to be. Now, you can take expiring examples, inspiring examples from other people in your life because of the, the inspiring way that they seek to use their gifts and passions, but there is a very clear picture in here of don't envy someone else's gift. Don't envy someone else's sphere of influence. Don't envy someone else's passions. That's going to cause division in the body. You just find your gifts and passions, and if you really find them, if you really find who God's wired you to be, there will be a fire in the belly where you're not going to look and envy others because you're going to be too filled up with the fire of God in you and it's going to be satisfying and exciting and you're going to see spheres of influence shift and change 
because of your gifts and passions, and it's going to be a beautiful thing. So there's great freedom that God's not looking at us and saying, why, don't you, why doesn't your fighting the good fight look like theirs? No, no. As long as you're being faithful to fight your good fight, you are exactly where you're supposed to be. But another big question in this is, are you surrounding yourself with people who see good and powerful gifts in you? That's a huge question. This is where the body of Christ talks about. We're supposed to be able to recognize, hey, you have this gift and you have that passion and you're really good at that. And hey, that blesses other people. I just want you to know and encourage you that when you did this the other day, man, that's powerful. And I think that's awesome because I know that I'm not naturally good at that. And I think that's so cool that you can do that. Those kind of things. Are there people in your life that are recognizing and helping call out those gifts? Do you have people that are your advocates, that are helping you discover things? Sometimes we're our own worst enemy, right? Where we don't believe we could be used by God in a powerful way. Oh, God didn't give me any gifts. Stop that. Never say that. That dishonors God. That's not humility. That absolutely just dishonors God. He created you with gifts and passions. He created you exactly how he wanted you to be. Knit you together in your mother's womb. The, the, very, the Bible says it abundantly clearly. He has given each one of us gifts. So it's not humility to say you, you can't do anything for God. It's just dishonoring to God. So we got to have those people around us, though, but it's a natural thing in our brokenness where we're like, oh, I don't know if I could do anything important for God in our life. Each one of us is made to make a vital contribution, to make a difference. And we need people in our lives that, would, that see those things in us and help us develop those. Let, let, me, let me put it this way. If nobody around you thinks you're awesome with really good gifts and talents that bless others, you need to hang out with different people. The Bible says the body of Christ is supposed to encourage one another. That's a cool word. Encourage. It literally means put courage in you. That's a major function in the body of Christ amongst your peers, amongst your friends. It's people that put courage in you by saying things like, hey, man, you have that gift and that's cool. Or when you do this, that's powerful. Or when you pray like that, that's a blessing. Relationships that put courage in you are the people that God says, hang around them. So when it comes to personal responsibility in our life, God also says in regards to gifts and passions, we have a lot of personal responsibility, significant. And it, it very much gets connected to, are we effectively fighting the good fight? So not only do we need good people around us that see those gifts and put that courage in us, We've got some personal work to do with the Lord. Second Timothy says it like this, and I like how it's in that same book that Paul tells Timothy to fight the good fight. This is kind of a supplement or a, a furthering of that question. Well, what is it? How, how do I fight the good fight? Paul says this to Timothy. Second Timothy 1.6, for this season or for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. 
And so that's a good example of the body of Christ working powerfully. So Paul's reminding Timothy of a time as his mentor that he said to Timothy and put courage in him by in some way recognizing one or some of his gifts and he laid hands on him and blessed him that those gifts would come forth. That's healthy friendship. That's healthy mentoring. And then he goes on to say, so I remind you though that gifts in you, but I want to remind you, fan into flame the gift of God that's already in you. So this comes down to significant personal responsibility. How effective you become in fighting the good fight has a lot to do with you. Are you training to become a better fighter? Just because you have a gift, and maybe even just because you have a gift and you know where you're supposed to fight, doesn't mean that you're good at fighting yet. Even if you have some effectiveness and some competency, it doesn't mean you've reached your maximum potential. I mean, let's take a couple examples from Jesus' followers. Jesus called James and John sons of thunder. I like that. That's like what Paul did with Timothy. Jesus sees in in these these young followers of him, man, you guys, I, I declare God's heart over you. I see in you, you are sons of thunder. That's called a a, a prophetic blessing, calling out their identity, their gifts, their passions, where they're going to fight the good fight or how they're going to fight. And shortly later, we've got one of those awesome passages where when a few like Samaritan ladies like reject Jesus, James and John come in their righteousness and they're like, hey, Jesus, should we call down fire from heaven and burn them all up? Because we're the sons of thunder. It happened. They were not effective yet in fighting the good fight. They were trying to fight. They were picking a fight. They were ready to fight, and they've got this big old weapon they have no idea how to use. And the Bible says Jesus rebuked them. They didn't know how to use their gifts yet. It's a journey. So Paul's talking to Timothy, who's already the leader of the church, This is key. He's already the leader of the church, and yet his charge to him is fan into flame the gift or the gifts of God that you have. So the implication is that he's already got it. He's already aware of that. He's already probably using it in some measure. But from from Paul's perspective, he's way below the potential that he has with that gift. So how effective you and I are in fighting the good fight in the various arenas that God's given us is in large part up to us. Are we learning how to fan into flame the gifts that God has given us? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to geek out here on this word, fan into flame. It's all one word in the Greek, and it's a very fun one. Sometimes, you, you know, sometimes geeks, you know, rule the world. So <laughs> it's like, just ask Mark Zuckerberg, you know, pays to be a geek sometimes. So I'm going to geek out on the Greek, and that's because this, in this case, it's like, woo, here we go. So fan into flame 
the gift of God. Fan into flame is one word. Anazopireo, fan into flame. It's a compound word from three words smashed together by the Holy Spirit so we could have some fun. Anazopireo. Ana simply means like upwards. So that's kind of the picture. The little flame goes, gets really big. All right, so we got upwards. Hold on to that one. Zo is a condensed version of Zoe, life. Like a lot of, you know, little girls get named Zoe. It's a cute name. means life. It's a good word. It's Greek. Zoe. Zoe. So it's Zo. And this is a fun one. Pyro. Pyro. Fire. Pyrotechnics. Okay. This is good. There is a holy life of fire inside of you. But it might be dormant or it might be really small compared to the potential that God sees for you. Ana Zoe Pareo, a life of fire that is meant to go. A life of fire. There is a holy life of fire in you that is waiting to be fanned upward, to just get huge, to go from that little spark where inside of you, you may see things in the world that are wrong and you've got this little fire in your belly and God wants you to take those gifts and passions and submit them to him and resubmit them to him and serve and grow and go through that process to where it's like, to get to the point where like Jesus, he says, zeal for your house consumes me. It's not a little flame. It's not a little flicker. It's not like the little match light. It's the all of us. I know it. I know it. In Christ, you see things in the world. And the stuff that puts a little fire in your belly is different than the stuff that puts a fire in my belly. There are so many different problems in the world. (laughs) So pick one. Or probably it picks you, right? It's what attracts your attention. What, do you, what articles do you want to click more and read about? What, what are those things that just get you really upset? There's a good chance that there's a holy fire in you to be the solution or to be part of the solution in that area. So Jesus shows this model. Look, John 2, 13 to 17 The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem in the temple. He found those there who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons. The money changers sitting there, making a whip of cords. Gentle Jesus with the lamb on the shoulders made a whip of cords, and he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers. He overturned their tables and he told those who were selling the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of this trade. And his disciples saw this and remembered it was written prophetically about the Messiah. Zeal for your house will consume me. So Jesus had a holy life of fire. A zoe pereo, a life of fire in him that motivated him to outwardly act. It was the zeal for his father's house. 
It was, as he says in another gospel, that this house is supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations, but you've made it into a den of robbers. And so that flame inside of him, his passion for his father's house to be filled with pure worship, motivated him to move outward in action. He was consumed by the holy fire, the holy life of fire inside of him. And lastly, we'll kind of close here. I could not help but see the parallel. This word consumed, consumed by fire, it also has this sense of like devour. Like Jesus himself was like devoured by, his heart was consumed by, devoured by this love that he had for God, for the purity of worship to God. It took him over in a good way, a holy life of fire. And I couldn't help but see a parallel passage that uses a very similar word, a very similar sense. And we're warned in 1 Peter 5, 8, to be sober, to be watchful, because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Either you can be consumed by the fire of God, or you can be devoured by the devil. And maybe one of the most powerful antidotes to being devoured by the devil, because Peter wrote that to Christians, we got to remember, this is written to his churches, the people that are already following Jesus. And his warning is, the battle is not over. You still have an enemy out there prowling around looking for a weakness in you to devour you. That's a rough word. I do not want to get chewed up and spit out by Satan. One of the greatest antidotes to being devoured by the, the, by the devil is to fan into flame the holy fire, the holy life of fire that God has put in you through your gifts. Because when you're consumed by the fire of God, then you devour the works of the evil one. You consume the works of the evil one. You're the one that takes back the territory that the enemy has stolen. And God's put it in us. Man, this is such a cool revelation of the word of God that he put in you. I mean, can't, is this, I get to that end where I'm like, can I believe this? That the God of the universe has put a holy zoe pereo, uh, his life of fire. Zoe is the word Eve in Hebrew. It's life. She gave life to the world. Zoe. God put his life force of fire in us. I mean, that's, I, I want to burn my whole life, right? I, I, I love what my wife said on, on our 10th anniversary where the devil wants to devour you so that you burn out. God's will is simply abide in him so that you stay burning your whole life. 
We can burn for him. And if you ever had any doubt that, well, maybe God's will is for a Christian to sometimes just feel awful. He, you have the fire of life in you. Now, maybe you're not fanning into flame the life of fire. And I'm, we all do that. Like right now, my, 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 my son and I are working on conquering Mondays. My 10-year-old, we're, we're battling our minds for Monday morning as he's in homeschool, and I got to get up with him, and we got to start the whole week again, and I just want to sleep in a little on Mondays because I burned my fire on Sundays and probably didn't get very much sleep, and I'm just fired up on a couple hours of sleep in the Holy Spirit, and I'm tired on Mondays. And he's just like, well, school again. And so we're saying, you know what? That's even one little simple practical way where we say, let's reframe that. Let's declare in Jesus' name that Mondays can be awesome. Why? Because it's another day that God has made. So if we're giving ourselves to him, then we are Christians that are learning to live in increasing victory. There's no area of life, even Monday mornings, that are outside of Jesus' prayer that says, more of heaven is meant to invade your life on earth. Even Monday mornings. So wherever that place is, we're like, I don't have fire. I want to quit. I don't like this. I give up. Wait a second. The The living life of fire is in here. And so maybe I need to learn how to tap into it more. I need to learn how, and that's where he says, this is your responsibility. Learn how to fan into flame that life of fire that I have put in you so you can live burning. All right, let's pray. God, we just thank you for your fire. And we just ask for more of an anointing of your fire and a stewardship to fan into flame the gift of God. And if we don't know what the gift of God is, that verse gives us a great example that it was bestowed upon Timothy through the laying on of hands, that there is a partnership in the body of Christ as we come together, that these divine gifts that God has given us and our divine purpose gets discovered as we are in fellowship and connected to the body. So this is, God help us to just get involved get with friends and mentors, get in life groups where we will discover our destinies. This is not a solo mission, but we discover our purpose as we are discover, as we are with the other parts of the body, we discover our function. And so God, I ask for an anointing over this house that we would see each other with heavenly eyes, that we would call out that destiny, that we would call out that glory, that we would be calling down your fire from heaven in a good way so that we will all be burning brightly, that there will not be a shadow of doubt that we were created for glory, that we were created to bring your kingdom, that the enemy will be snuffed out with his lies that all of his fire will be put out and that we will burn brightly as bringers of your kingdom and as ones who call out your goodness, your glory, your divine purpose, your destiny in others. We call out 
the nature and the goodness and the heart of God and the mission and the golds, the golds and others. And so, God, I thank you for courage. I thank you also for courage for the process because a fire doesn't stay burning when it is unattended. We need to nurture it and nourish it and be a part of things like those life groups and fellowship and community that nurture it and that pour gasoline on that fire and that pour the worship and the love. And God, just, yeah. So God, I thank you for an anointing over this church family, an anointing over this church family to be raising up all of that fire, to be raising up those sons of thunder, to be patient in the process of growth. Yeah, I love this verse. Lord, I have chosen you alone as my inheritance. You are my prize, my pleasure, and my portion. I leave my destiny and its timing in your hands. Help us to be a house that doesn't give up as we are on a journey and in process. As our character, as our character is being molded and shaped, as the world around us is being change. Everything is a process and help us not to give up on the fire when it looks like there is a standstill or it's not quite time yet. Like Joseph and more people than I can count in the Bible, there is preparation always, but help us to remain hand in hand and never to allow the enemy's lies or our impatience to step into our destiny to put out the fire. Just because it hasn't happened yet doesn't mean it's not his will for you to walk in alignment with him in your destiny and bring the kingdom in the ways that he has shown you. So, Lord, give us patience in the process, give us courage, and help us to be a kingdom-bringing family that pours all the love and encouragement like gasoline on your fire within each one of us and calls it out in the world, calls out the goodness and the glory that God has created each person to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Dance a new dance like David